When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Phil Mackie, Judd Zolgad. Is this really as good as it gets? Because it's still not good enough. Mackie and Judd. Make us believe again. You don't owe it to yourselves. You owe it to us. On 1500 ESPN. Kerrigan steps away, fires on the run, and it's caught! Unbelievable! It's like glue on his hands from feeling. Earlier this year, we saw a duck, duck, gray goose. Yeah, get it right in Minnesota now. And now, we're seeing them hopping over each other. Well, guys like Matthew Collins are always such downers about Case Keenum. You, gotta, you guys ought to send that guy back to Buffalo where he belongs. The guy is playing great football. The Vikings are winning, and... All is right in the world. I'm out. We're going to wait at least one more segment before we send Matthew Collar back to Buffalo because he wrote something really interesting, a big feature that was front and center on our website, 1500ESPN.com, over the weekend. Uh, Take us behind the curtain when it comes to the building of one of the best defenses in the NFL 2017, Collar. Well, first I'm doing my research on Buffalo, Minnesota, since I'm being sent there. Um, Founded in 1856. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Population. Hold on, I had that. No, that's about that's about eleven thousand or so um, population. Fi- fifteen. That's up to fifteen now. It was yeah. ten thousand yeah, when I went to high school. Metropolis. Yeah, it really is. Listen, I don't know why they I haven't pre- put a Phil Mackey statue in Buffalo yet, <laughs> but maybe we can work on that. I appreciate that uh, they want to send me to a place with a lake. Right? It's got a lake. Oh, they have a radio station there yeah. too. Uh, Dave oh. Harrigan and I both work there. KRWC. That's, that's awesome. Uh, AM thirteen sixty, and uh, you could read the farm reports. <laughs> radio for Wright farm County, reports. baby. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, on the defensive line, um, the 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 interesting thing to me about sitting down with Rick Spielman, and I basically asked him player by player. So how'd you find this guy? How'd you find that guy? And uh, and then I wrote about his responses and did a little other uh, research and background. It's interesting to me that there are no first-round picks playing on this defensive line. Even the guys who are the backups, like Brian Robison or Shamar Steffen, Jaleel Johnson, the depth even is no first-round picks. It's all guys who they spotted their character and makeup as guys who could learn and grow and become better. So when Everson Griffin um, <clears throat> assaulted a police officer in an impolite way, uh, they stuck with him in part because I asked about that. What made you stick with him? Because they th- they thought it was there. Like his maturity was disturbing at the time, but they saw him growing as a player, even though he was acting that way off the field. And then other people I talked to about Everson talked about him becoming a grown up. I mean, he lost his mom. He's married. He's got two kids now. And uh, one great thing that his former defensive line coach at USC said is 
you know, when you're 19 or 20, certain things are funny that aren't funny when you're 27 and have two kids. And he's the amount that he's taken it seriously and shown how good he could really be uh, has been one of the major reasons that this defensive line is as good as it is. And I think you saw his impact when he was out, really. I mean, Robinson mm-hmm. had a couple of good plays, but Everson impacts every single play. And those running backs who are running all over the place, getting open in the secondary, those guys have to stay in and block because Everson is there when you rush four, or they have to chip him on the way out and that slows them down and you can't send them on pass routes. He impacts every part of the game. And so from man to man, Tom Johnson's a really unique guy. They found him in the CFL and he was the same thing. They saw some tools there, but they also saw a a growing player, somebody who was smart and could learn. And I've said this to you guys before. Tom Johnson's one of the smartest guys I've ever talked to in the NFL. I mean, he could break down any play, any scouting report you ask him and he's just got it. And it's a, it's amazing. So they found that about him. It's really interesting that this ends up becoming this game often about who you are rather than what exactly your combine stats are, how athletic you are, even though we often focus on that. This guy's a freak. That guy's a freak. But there are a lot of people who are fast and big, but not many who can get better and better and better to be to the point where they are now. Who are the Zim guys then? Hunter, it was definitely influenced well, by, Zim, by Zimmer. No, but, but I'm saying... Spielman took Griffin in the fourth round in like 2010, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. but sticking with him and stuck with him. Yes, yeah. yeah. But but Zim came along basically, and I know he he said draft Bar, and I believe he said draft Hunter. So wh- where did we get to the the guys who were Spielman picks with Frazier there, and then turn the corner to? Zim had influence on them being picked. He had influence on all of them because sticking with Everson Griffin, giving him the big contract, they gave him a big contract when he wasn't a starter, projecting out that he would become this good and knowing that Zimmer wanted him to be a starter. And the same goes for Tom Johnson that uh, Spielman talked about laying out that they wanted this nickel pass rusher. And where can we find one for cheap, really, right? Because they've spent so much money in other places. And Linval Joseph is a is a Zimmer decision too. That's the one that's an unbelievable find. I hope that. How res- did the Giants I, let him get away? I hope that receiver survived. He had no chance. No, I love how he dead. just like it was like Linval was. Oh, it was almost as if he was just trudging back to the sideline and like there was a receiver in the way and he just like <laughs> right. walked well, over him. But how how do you see him if you're the Giants? How do you see that guy consistently in practice and not say you know there there might be something here? We probably should sign him to a longer term deal. Did they try? I mean, they tried. I'm assuming, and the Vikings were just a more appealing spot. Maybe that, that's probably right. More money, probably. They had to spend a lot of money because they. They had uh, OCU Manura, they had uh, Jason Pierre-Paul, okay. so they were spending a lot on that D-line. Sure. And they were never really the same. I mean, they they came back and brought in somebody else who was pretty good. Or they stayed fairly decent, but never quite the same as they were when they had Linval Joseph. But I think a, a big part of it with all of these guys is that they have all continued to improve and improve and improve. We spent a lot of the offseason sitting here going, man, what are they going to do with that? three technique spot what like Tom Johnson can't handle that and he focused a lot on his run stopping ability and he's been great this year he's played 70% of snaps he was one of their MVPs on Sunday I think he was their leader in pressures and had a, a big quarterback hit in that game and one of the best players on the defensive side he's playing all the time it's just because he's gotten better Linval was not this good when he left the Giants he was still good sure. they won the Super Bowl yeah. based on their defense but He's gotten even better, and the the crazy thing about Linval is he hits that wide receiver. How many nose tackles are hitting wide receivers for any reason? But that's the thing about Linval is he chases guys down like that. 
Yeah, I would say too that you know we can sit here and nitpick almost any coach in the NFL except for Bill Belichick, who's like the the closest thing to a perfect football coach as you're going to find. And there's things about Mike Zimmer you can point to: clock management here, there, timeout management. You know, he sometimes maybe is a little bit too liberal with how he rips players publicly. But if you come in and you bring the suitcase full of defensive tricks and coaching and scheme that he brought to the Twin Cities. And you can just snap your fingers, and four years later, you have the best defense in the NFL, just like what you did with Cincinnati and with Dallas before that. I can live with some of the other flaws. And there's a lot of coaches who are supposed offensive or defensive masterminds, and they come with the clock management problems and the timeout stuff, but they're not really that great at offense, defense. Leslie Frazier, defensive coordinator mastermind. Like they had the worst defense in the NFL the year that he got fired. Mm-hmm. So you can, Zimmer is so great at coordinating and coaching up defense and individual players, you can sort of live with some of the other stuff, hoping it gets better. And that's why I'm so I'm so bullish on him as a head coach. Like, he has something you can hang a hat on. Yeah, I, I think uh, we talked about this in the offseason. We said, where would we put him among head coaches? And I said, well, at very worst, he's in the top 15. He might be even higher than that. The one thing you worry about is what happened last year with not being able to handle some adversity or panicking, or being too honest at times that might alienate the locker room. But, you know, the one thing that sort of we just moved past with him is last year he was dealing with multiple eye surgeries during the season. I don't, I've never had multiple eye surgeries, but, but I can't imagine that makes you an easy person to deal with on a daily basis. I mean, when he's doing a little, you know, a media scrum and he's dabbing goo out of his eyeball. Thank you like, for that. Yeah, no, well. I had to live with it. I have to live with the memories, so you do too. Uh, <laughs> now I do. Thank uh, you, Matthew. But I mean, it was a, it's just a much different situation. And I also think what they went through last year has mattered toward this season. Uh, it might be just applying the results and then drawing the conclusions from there. But just the strength of the locker room, I think, is a, a lot different. To handle a situation like this, Zimmer's experience last year also might help him handle a situation like this. But that's where we'll decide. Through the rest of this year and how he handles this, that's how we'll determine whether we think Mike Zimmer is a top 10 NFL coach or not. I think what impresses me is this. Uh, the question from starting with last year's run uh, to five consecutive wins is how do you handle success? And the answer last year is things disintegrated around them. And they had problems, okay, Matt Collar? But as things disintegrated around them, the answer was not well. They... They had problems that were out of their control, and they didn't help themselves at all. So then the question becomes, okay, you didn't do a good job there. What did you learn from it? And Zimmer's at an age where a lot of times guys will just say, hey, I'm this is me. I'm a coach, and I coach like this, and I'm not going to change. I think that he sincerely spent the summer getting back with players who he cared about and saying, what can we do better? And I think what you're seeing now is a reflection. I think... That if the Keenum situation happened last year, Zimmer is trying in his mind right now to play it a politically correct, and I think he's doing a decent job. Mm-hmm. I think I think last year he's a lot more frontal. I think those picks drive him crazy, and, yeah. he, and he says something at the Sunday or or Monday press conference a year ago where you're like, oh boy. Now he's toned that back. So where I give them a lot of credit is there was a lot to learn from 2016, and they learned it. Or at least they appear to have. Something he just sort of tossed in there that I don't know if he did in the past, but it would make sense that this would be a good thing, is he said every week he meets with the captains. 
And I don't remember ever hearing anything about that last year. And now maybe he did last year and I just didn't know about it, but he just sort of casually mentioned, Oh yeah, every week I meet with the captains. I'm going to discuss the quarterback situation with them and yada, yada, yada. But uh, this, this group of captains is a number of players who you would, you could form a coaching staff with. I mean, you have Terrence Newman, Riley reef has just gotten huge reviews for his personality, his smarts, all that stuff. Uh, you know, Robinson, I think, is a captain, too. He's been around for a very long time. And Everson, I mean, just, just guys who are veteran-proven players who really know the game, who lead the locker room, uh, being able to have those conversations with them, I would think, when it as it pertains to this quarterback situation, would really help Zimmer. And maybe instead of being the authoritarian guy, he's decided to open his ears a little bit more and listen to what the players are saying more than he did last year. No, guys like Matthew Collins are always <laughs> such downers about Case Keenum. You got you guys ought to send that guy back to Buffalo where he belongs. The guy is playing great football. The Vikings are winning, and all is right in the world. I'm out. Yeah, exactly. I love all right. that. I love all right. You go, you go do your research on Buffalo, Minnesota. Don't go back to Buffalo <laughs> in New York. Buffalo, Minnesota, and uh, we'll catch up with you on a an episode of Purple Podcast soon. By Matthew, good stuff, you. man. By Colin, uh, if you haven't if you haven't read his feature on the defensive line, go check it out. Fifteen hundred ESPN dot com. Judd, we have our pecking order, our pigskin pecking order coming up next. Where do we have the Minnesota Vikings in mm-hmm. our top ten NFL teams? We'll get to that. Brian Windhorst at the top of the hour on the Timberwolves, and uh, in the studio right now, we're staring at a fifty-five inch TCL four K Roku TV which has been an amazing experience if you haven't dove into uh, the entertainment uh, mecca of TVs. Stop into any local retailer in the Twin Cities to find out why TCL is America's fastest-growing TV brand. Uh, it's, it's one of the largest TV brands in the world, third largest to be exact, and what really separates TCL is the 4K Roku TV with excellent picture quality, sleek design, and stunning resolution. And TCL Roku TVs have endless entertainment. In fact, the most streaming content of any TV, bringing entertainment to any room in your house. We're talking 4,000 streaming channels and 450,000 plus movies and TV episodes. Uh, so get in. If you're not in on TCL TVs right now, you are, uh, you're missing out. Find out why it's America's fastest-growing TV brand. TCL TV's Mackie and Judd. The Mackie and Judd Show rolls on. That's right, sports fans. This is 1500 ESPN. Rise and shine, football fans. Dig out the meat and potatoes because it's time for Mackie and Judd's pigskin pecking order. That's right. Yes. Changes are coming. So much meat, so many potatoes. Our top 10 NFL teams every week. And we're streaming live on Facebook, too, which we do once in a while. Mm-hmm. Facebook.com slash 1500ESPN. So uh, thank you guys for following all of our social media platforms. We're trying to step up our Instagram game a little bit, our Facebook game, Facebook Live game. Keep up with all the young kids, all the millennials. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. I'm not very good at it, but <laughs> um, we are trying to do it. So uh, I don't know who goes first because I never do. You keep track of that? Yeah, I go first You go week. first this week? I all go right. first this week. Top 10 teams in any given order, preferably 10 to 1, Okay. By the way. Okay, 10 to 1. Uh, first of all, missing out for me this week despite having a 6-3 uh, a and three record, the Tennessee Titans, because 
They are, despite the fact being six and three, a negative eight in scoring differential. They are one of the few teams that actually have a, I think they're the only team that has a record that good that has a negative scoring differential. So I left them out. Dropping out for me this week, the Dallas Cowboys coming off a loss at Atlanta. Replacing the Dallas Cowboys at number 10. Uh, they weren't on the list last week. The Carolina Panthers, who beat the Dolphins last night. Now, the Dolphins are a hot mess. They're not good. But Carolina, I believe, has already exceeded its victory total from a year ago when it came off the Super Bowl season and was so disappointing. So I put Carolina number 10. Number 9 staying put, and a lot of teams in my, uh, in my rankings this week did stay put. The Jacksonville Jaguars stay ninth. The Seattle Seahawks remain 8th. The Kansas City Chiefs, who at one time were atop this list, remain 7th on my list. And now it gets a little bit dicey. It gets a little more difficult at this point because uh, there's not as much obvious separation to me from 6 on up. It's true. I am leaving the Saints at 6. Now, there was a temptation for me to put them in the top 5, but I'm going to leave them at 6. I am going to drop the Pittsburgh Steelers one spot from fourth to fifth. All right. They did nothing wrong, but the next team has done something very right. The Minnesota Vikings go up one spot at seven and two. Now, the Rams game on Sunday is going to tell a lot, but for now, I am moving the Steelers down. And despite the fact the Steelers beat the Vikings in week two, I am moving the Vikings up to fourth. I am leaving my top three alone, Phil Mackey. That means the Rams remain third. The Eagles, who had a bye this past week, remain second at 8-1. and one. And the Patriots continue to be the Patriots. And I think for the third straight week, despite the fact that they have one more loss than the Eagles do, the Patriots are atop my list because the Patriots are unbelievable. They're just unbelievable. Every time you're like, okay, this is that defense can't. They win five consecutive games, and they're fine. So uh, my top ten... New England, Philadelphia, the Rams, Vikings 4, moving up one spot, Steelers 5, 6 through 10, Saints, Chiefs, Seahawks, Jaguars, Carolina, Dallas out. So there's not, I mean, we're to the point in the season where there's not going to be a ton of differentiation in our in our top 10 NFL rankings here, the pigskin pecking order, but there's a few things here and there. So uh, I, you're going to think I'm crazy here. I'm still not buying Panther stock. I just... Cam Newton is so up and down from week to week. And really, like he as the number one overall pick and one of the most physically gifted players in the history of the NFL, he's had one really good season, and that's it. So they're still on the outside. They're like 11th for me. Uh, the Titans, I'm still in prove-it mode with the Titans, too, for all the reasons you mentioned. And I still have Dallas at number 10. Dallas was without Sean Lee for most of that game on Sunday. And um, Zeke Elliott is out. So, like, they're... And I think actually their star left tackle didn't even play in the game. So injuries were the, were the reason why they just didn't look good against the Falcons. So I, they're five and four. They still have to play Philadelphia twice, Seattle at Oakland. They play Washington. So Dallas is going to have a really hard time making the playoffs, but their schedule is the reason why they're five and four. It's just been a grind because they were so good last year. Number nine, Jacksonville holding opposing quarterbacks to a 65.9 passer rating. Six touchdowns and 11 interceptions opposing quarterbacks and only averaging 165 yards through the air per game. That's amazing. No, they're absolutely crazy. They picked off Ben Roethlisberger five times. I mean, yes. that is an unbelievable defense there in Jacksonville. Number eight, the Kansas City Chiefs. 
still holding steady. They've, they've fallen off. They look like by far the best team in the NFL for the first month, but yeah, the season doesn't end in October. The Patriots usually get better starting in November, and so in uh, Andy Reid teams traditionally start to fade sometime December, January, whenever it may be. But Alex Smith has 18 touchdown passes and just one interception and the standard 70% completion. So he's having a career year there in Kansas City. Mm -hmm. Seahawks number seven, some ups and some downs there, but I still think with Russell Wilson and a well-coached overall team, a good defense, they're going to be there in the end. That secondary is a mess now, though. Yeah, but they always seem to find a way, and you're right. So Thomas got hurt last game. So it's possible Seattle... Wins a playoff game, fades out. I don't think it's a Super Bowl team there with with Richard Sherman out for the season. Number six, the New Orleans Saints. That's a Hall of Fame quarterback. Weapons all over the field. Now a formidable defense for the first time in several years. So what they're doing now seems to be sustainable. I mean, they were winning seven games with the worst defense we've yeah. seen in a decade in the NFL. Yep. So now that you give Drew Brees a little something, you don't have to score 40 points every game to win. You can run the what, ball, too. What they did against a decent Buffalo team on the road, traveling all the way up to the to the upper northeast, that's a pretty impressive win. Number five, Minnesota Vikings cracking the top five, I think, for the first time all season in my pecking order. Maybe the second time, but they're back in the top five. Everything feels Super Bowl caliber about the Vikings, except the quarterback. We just have to, because Matthew Collar brought it up, and it's a good point. Drew Brees is going to be in the playoffs. Russell Wilson's going to be in the playoffs. You're talking about an MVP caliber Carson Wentz now in the playoffs. Uh, so, And Matt Ryan is, is probably going to be back in the playoffs. So you're going to need a little bit more. I know that people are, are liking Case Keenum so far, but the defense feels Super Bowl ready. The offensive line has been incredible. Thielen digs, maybe the best one-two punch receiver combo in the league. I got the Vikings number five. Number four, I'm still putting the Steelers in the top four here, but that was a shaky win over the Colts. But I'm still I still get attached to Big Ben and Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell. That defense has been better than it's been in probably six or seven years. So I dropped him that spot. And Football Outsiders actually has the Steelers as the second best team in the NFL. And that's an analytics website. So just yeah, we'll see what happens with the Steelers. But it wouldn't shock me if the Vikings and Steelers played again today, if the Vikings were to win that game, even at Pittsburgh. Number three, the Los Angeles Rams. The last four games for the Rams, average margin of victory, 26 points. Mm-hmm. Margin of victory, 26 points, the last four games. Number two, Philadelphia Eagles. Wentz is a legit MVP candidate and the number one team in my pigskin pecking order. The New England Patriots, who always seem to save a little something for November 1st and into December, into January. And so, they, Yep, they always improve. Patriots, Eagles, Rams, Steelers, Vikings, Saints, Seahawks, Chiefs, Jaguars, Cowboys, that's how they stack. This coming Sunday could do a lot to change three through six, basically. Because the the Saints, Steelers, Vikings, Rams could all... If the Vikings win that game, I think the Vikings are three, logically. If they win impressively. If they win impressively, the Rams, the Rams... Right up there, man. Definitely drop then. And, and I'm with you. Pittsburgh, here's my problem. Pittsburgh's record is good. Every time I see them, they seem to look shaky. And that Jacksonville game still leaves an indelible mark on me. That Jacksonville defense yeah. just kicked Big Ben's butt all over the field. These are interesting times for the NFC because, like you mentioned, the Seattle defense is sort of ravaged now. And I, I, I could still see Seattle riding Russell Wilson deep into the playoffs. But 
But the but the Seahawks are kind of on the way down a little bit with with the injuries there defensively. Uh, Drew Brees, maybe one last hurrah. But other than that, you've got an upstart Vikings team, upstart Rams, mm-hmm. upstart Eagles. Mm-hmm. So the NFC landscape is very interesting. In the AFC, let's be honest, it's still Ben Roethlisberger and and Tom, Tom Brady, Brady yeah. until proven it's still otherwise. The Patriots, exactly. And Andy Reid and, and what the Chiefs have done. So there it is, the pigskin packing order, the top 10 teams. We both have the Vikings solidly in our top five. Dave Harrigan, what kind of stuff do you have for us when we come back? There was major drama at Madison Square Garden last night. LeBron was in the middle of it. We'll dig through that as well as a big move by ESPN and problems that the Colts could be facing. Right on, Mackie and Judd. Mackie and Judd are back. Okay, let's not scare the children. On 1500 ESPN. In sports, there's a lot of stuff you should simply be aware of. There was stuff going on that no one talked about. Pretty heavy stuff. Let me show you some stuff. I don't do that stuff no more. This stuff can give you brain damage. And then there's the stuff you should know about. Lots of great stuff. This is the fun stuff. I love this stuff. Good stuff. Man, this stuff's good. This is that kind of stuff. I want to check that stuff out. Mackie and Judd now continues. This is very serious stuff we're talking about here. With stuff you should know about. Gotta have that stuff, Dave Harrigan. Gotta have that stuff. Just really love your enthusiasm. Once every single day. I bring it. I bring it. I tell you what. Phil will vouch for me. Uh, Will he? No, you mostly are unenthusiastic at the start of segments. I will. Uh, no, I'm very enthusiastic. I will, just, I will just call you out for being unenthusiastic. No, no, no. That's not segments. true. That's not true at all. That's not true at all. I just build almost up. like you nap during the commercial break and then come back. You and know have what to I am? Like ramp it up over the course of ten minutes. I'm just like the Patriots. Start off a little slow, but then by the time I'm done, I'm a champion. Woo! I'm a champion in the segment. Yeah, three partners you're working on. Three partners. Yeah, and I missed the first two. Well, actually, if, if you if you want to count the Star Tribune days. You know, good point. Rode Kevin Seifert out of town. Seifert, Chipper, Scoggins, poor Mark Craig. Yeah, I I removed myself from that equation. A lot of bodies in your wake. Am am I a liability? Oh hell yeah! (laughs) I don't think that's a question. And you're my third producer technically too. Then yeah, I suppose that's true. Okay, well, I've hung around a long time. Okay, let's get to stuff. That must really be good. Let's get to stuff. Uh, What do we think about uh, the big move by the mothership? ESPN's taking Sports Center. To social media, it began yesterday evening. Uh, they will now be running a two-time daily Sports Center show, 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. Eastern, so 4 a.m., 4 p.m. our time on Snapchat. Snapchat Sports Center. The morning version will be sort of your you know last night's highlights, as you'd uh, typically expect, and the evening version will be the more personality-driven breakdown of the stories of the day. Katie Nolan will be doing a lot of stuff on the evening version in the morning. I know they got a comedian, Cy Amundsen, as part of it. Uh, how do we feel about SportsCenter on Snapchat, boys? I don't think anyone in this room is an avid user of Snapchat, but I think the fact that if you have, like, if you if you go 20 years ago compared to now, and let's say you've got five hours per day to consume content in your life, right? You work, you got kids, or whatever it is that you do, uh, and you've got five hours in 1995 to consume content. You're going to listen to the radio, you're going to watch TV, right? And read the newspaper, yeah. which is most, I mean, that's what that's what Judd still does. I love to read newspaper, yes. <laughs> but now, if you were to have a pie chart of how you consume content in those five hours, Twitter, social media, Facebook, Instagram, those are all sort of nudging 
other traditional platforms aside. So if people are consuming a lot of content, if millions and millions of people are consuming content for hours a day on their phones, mm-hmm. on Instagram, Snapchat, wherever, mm-hmm. then what, you'd be foolish to not try and capitalize on that. So I love what ESPN is doing, and I think it's cool they brought Katie Nolan in to do stuff like this, and uh, I applaud them. And our attention spans now are so short that that the more that, that you can do things l- like this, the smarter. Because we just don't... I mean, how, how many people now sit down and watch... An, hour of sports or highlights. I mean, you just don't really. Like yeah, if you're going to go like you're always doing two things yeah, at once. Yeah, and you're doing right? three. So, yes. I I think that while this probably doesn't serve someone like me, I think it's very very smart and it's definitely where things yeah. are going. Well, and last night, so let's say TV was my only option last night. I was watching the Gophers and the Wolves. So, I was I was I, and I was maybe going to flip around a little bit during like halftime to Monday night football, but sure. that, but that's it. Well, now I have my phone in my right hand, and I'm staring for like four hours. I'm just scrolling through Twitter, Instagram. Yep. I'm just going back and forth. Twitter, Instagram. I want to see reaction to the game. What else is going on? So maybe, and I'm not really on Snapchat, but if if I ever were, then ESPN wouldn't get me to watch SportsCenter on one of their channels because I'm watching something else. But right. I could like flip through one of their social media channels to get that content. So it's a, it's a smart move. <laughs> Speaking of sports, embracing the new generation, the millennials. How about this one? This was tweeted out by Awful Announcing. As far as the top 10 U.S. over-the-top services, so things like Netflix, Hulu, uh, Amazon, things that you're subscribing to watch on your TV or phone or whatever it is, here's your top 10. I'll just stop at number four, though, because you get Netflix number one, makes sense, Amazon Video, Hulu's number three, and number four, MLB TV, better than HBO Now, better than really? Stars, better than YouTube Red, better than Showtime, better than CBS All Access. Is this just based on TV. subscribers? Uh, it is ranking by, by number of domestic subscribers, yes. So here's why, and that, it's really interesting. There's probably a lot of dormant people who, like, I, I, they have my account. I haven't had MLB TV in years, but because they launched in 2004, they've been building up this platform for, like, 13 years, so... I used to subscribe in like 2004 through 2009 so I could watch other games out of market. Yep. But then I kind of thought, I don't know, I'm not really getting my $100 worth out of this because I can't watch Twins games on it, so I stopped. But they still have my information. So you still count? I think I still count. Okay. Because I don't think there's, I don't think that many people, you can't watch local games on MLB TV. If you want to stream a Twins game, you're watching on Fox Sports Go, okay. not MLB TV. I got you. All right. All right. So that's interesting. I bet you that's a lot of dead accounts. That's just my thought. So whatever. Probably negative. I was going to say that shot them down. I'm just saying. Just embrace baseball, huh? Just saying. I mean, I'm just bring it's reality radio, as Judd likes to say. You just shot your thing down. <laughs> Judd likes basically. to say a lot of it. things. I don't. Well, and make, most are true. I don't like to quote Judd. Most of uh, them are true. I think. Back in January, Jim Ursay, owner of the Colts, sent out a tweet saying. Andrew Locke recovering from successful outpatient surgery to fix his uh, right shoulder will be ready for the season. As Pro Football Talk is uh, writing, that could be a problem. The Colts could be facing a lawsuit for fraud, boys. Hmm. The possibility that perhaps season ticket holders are going to be very upset that they were sold a bill of goods by the owner of the team saying their quarterback would be ready for the season. It goes further than that. Uh, The GM of the team, Chris Ballard, recently was on with Dan Dockich, 1070 the fan in Indy. And he got a little contentious. Ballard wasn't exactly good under the cross-examination he got. 
And there was even this. Dockage claims that he, a friend of his in the media, got a text from Andrew Luck saying, quote, I'm nowhere near ready. They're putting me out here just to sell the tickets. Wow. Really? Yes. So so are we are is there a threat in, is there a threat of a class action suit or is that just being thrown out as a hypothesis that it could happen? I think right now it's a hypothesis, but you have to think right. smoke and fire, right? A hundred percent. It makes total sense that they wouldn't whiff this badly on Andrew Luck's condition that, oh, he might be ready for week one. Oh, he's not going to play all year. That's a huge gap. They had to have known that this thing was going to turn out, if not out for the season, like not ready until week eight, nine, or ten. Is, right? is Andrew Luck, one, done playing? Is this going to end his career? And two, if it doesn't, does he ever play for the Colts again? It seems like it's gotten super contentious there. Like re- and and I don't know yeah, that that can the, be repaired. Here's the problem. Yeah, I think he has eighty-seven million dollars guaranteed on his contract left, and I don't know if that's, I don't know how those guarantees work. But let's say there's eighty plus million dollars left. That whether it's you or somebody else, it's if you're him, do you re, do you restructure to to take a trade somewhere? I, I mean, I want that eighty-seven million dollars if I'm him. Can you move him without having seen him play in a game? You're not going to get a first-round pick for him now, are you? With the shoulder pain, going, like so. going to Europe to get his shoulder but looked at? It seems really bad. I, th- this whole thing has become has gone from being a routine. He, he had surgery to a, a cluster bleep. Like, here's a question: So the Vikings don't have any quarterbacks under contract. If right now, if if the if the Colts came to you and said first-round pick Andrew Luck is yours, but you get to deal with whatever's left of his shoulder, I don't think first I could do pick. it because I think he might be. Do- I think he might be done. Yeah, I don't. I think there's the a thing. chance he might be done. LeBron James can't help himself. So a couple <laughs> days ago, he made the comment that Dennis Smith should be a Nick. They should have drafted Dennis Smith because he likes taking shots at Phil Jackson. That's fine. He was asked for clarification yesterday before the Cavs and Knicks met at Madison Square Garden. I mean, it's the same if I. I mean, I think Deshaun Watson should be a Brown. Doesn't doesn't mean that Miles Garrett is not a going to be a great football player. But Deshaun Watson should have been our quarterback. It's the same thing. It's not you on the next guy. It's just that you state what you see. That's all that is for clarification of, of people who just live in the box. Okay. Well, Enos Cantor took issue with the original comments saying, hey, you know, we got our guy Frank Tilakina. That's who they took. We're very happy here. Fast forward to the game yesterday. LeBron dunks. The ball kind of bounces a little ways over towards Tilakina. And LeBron just decides, I'm just going to run into you. And LeBron James and Nikita, and that's what the crowd was waiting for. Oh, Canada going to Malcolm. Oh, not in my house. It is Canada. You knew he was going to mouth off at some point. Here we go. Canada started the whole thing. Yeah, okay, sure he did. Uh, That was the Cleveland broadcast. So LeBron with the little guy, Tillakini, he's just standing over him, and he won't move. He's getting in his way, won't let him inbound the ball. So Cantor goes over, and they start jawing face-to-face. Everybody gets a technical. (laughs) No, you know, a couple little pushes, but no big deal. Post-game, Cantor. You ain't coming to my house playing that water bottle flip game again. You know what I mean? Uh, I don't care who you are, king. What, What do you call yourself? King, queen, princess, whatever you are. You know what? We're going to fight. James. I'm the king. My wife is the queen and my daughter is the princess. So we got all three covered. Cantor. You can't just mess with the rookie like that. You know, if you're going to mess with, go mess with the grown man. You know what I mean? But um, I, I would say, man, I, I mean, I'll die for my teammates. All right. Who do we side with? 
Because this is the reason I despise LeBron from time to time. Every once in a while, I like him. He likes to mix things and up a little bit. this crap. Oh, he loves drama. He likes to make thing, mix things up. He loves drama. Nobody. But he makes it more fun, and he's maybe the greatest player of all time. So I'm going to all side with LeBron. I'm out. I'm, I take no sides here. It's just LeBron loves the drama. Radio. LeBron Thanks. loves the drama, and he always has. And Cantor, you know what? You're with the Knicks. Just calm down, okay? Trolling Phil Jackson is just fine. Phil Jackson was a complete moron in that job. Such a moron, yeah. Like, what a moron for, for drafting Chris Ops Porzingis, who's turned into one of the best players in Phil the league. Jackson what a moron a, that Phil Jackson, Jackson, Jackson did a was. terrible job. Phil Jackson did as bad a job, aside from that one draft pick, perhaps, as you could possibly do. Awful job. If you're going to rip him, you got to sound like Stephen A. when you do it. <laughs> oh, you want me to take on the Stephen A.? Come on, give me a little temerity, unmitigated goal. Unmitigated the temerity of Phil Jackson. <laughs> To have destroyed the Knicks like he did. How's that for you? That's fantastic. Thank you very much. And by the way... <laughs> That's terrible. But <laughs> By the way, boys, we got my favorite analyst last night. We got Bill Raftery saying things as Fox went to commercial breaks, and I had no idea what he was saying. Get rid of Onions! That's all you could hear. So good, yeah. That's offensive, but Tim Brando and, uh, yes. and Raftery, that's a fun little little tandem. Raftery's outstanding. Uh, Grayson Murray, you familiar with him? Golfer, PGA Tour. No. He's had some trouble on Grayson Twitter. Murray? Yes. He's probably he's from like Alabama or, yeah. Probably. Whatever. A couple pop collars. I'm not very familiar with him, but uh, first year on his PGA Tour, and he had a little trouble on Twitter. He got, you know, he got a few people upset. So he decided to quit Twitter for a while. He jumped back on about 10 days ago, right about the time that Will Gray of Golf Channel was tweeting about Bernhard Longer in the Champions Tour, saying, this guy's been incredible. Any system that allows someone else to win the season-long Schwab Cup clearly needs an overhaul. So what do you do if you're a first-year guy on the tour and you've had trouble on Twitter? You say things like, does anyone really care, is the real question. Those guys were relevant 10-plus years ago. Firing back another guy uh, towards Grayson. Don't you think they laid a good foundation for guys like you? Yes, I do. But you'll never see Phil Tiger or Furyk ever playing it. The tour subsidizes it every year. Loses a lot of money. He's going to get a phone call. He's missing a tooth. I just did a Google image search. Oh, really? <laughs> Grayson Murray is Ooh. missing a front tooth. And that says what about Grayson Murray? Everything. Hockey player? I just he might well, be gritty and tough. What's wrong with Grayson Murray? Yeah, I see. Why Judd, are you picking on? I him? see Judge digging in, defending he, his favorite. He goes sport. in the corners. Yeah. Maybe he's the only golfer that's blocked a shot. <laughs> Probably <laughs> blocking, dives, blocking dives shots is very important. <laughs> just listen to Fox Sports North. Blocking shots makes all the difference. Dives in, the in front of the drive on a par five. <laughs> he's got the guts. <laughs> Brian Windhorst in ten or fifteen minutes. We also have some Twins hot stove stuff to get to at eleven thirty, and more on that Gopher Hoops big win last night. Mackie and Judd. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. I would like to think that they're good. You know, hopefully it'll continue to get better. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Now up for grabs on the 1500 ESPN stream player, the first major by John Feinstein, number one New York Times bestselling author. John Feinstein delivers a dramatic chronicle of the bitterly fought 2016 Ryder Cup pitting a U.S. team out for revenge against the Europeans determined to keep the cup out of American hands. Head to the 1500 ESPN stream player for a chance to win your copy today. You should be playing that song when you read that promo. I am not kidding when I say that 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 event was a ton of fun. 
And we, you're not kidding when you say and it was we fun? did a week of events from or a week of shows from there. That was a lot of fun. That was a great time. Yes, in fact, it was. I still have my. In fact, I still have my uh, my uh, backpack from there. That's awesome. The Ryder Cup. It was really really fun. Do you recall that, Dave? Yeah. How was, much fun that was. I was here. How we? Oh, sorry. I got to hear about it. Oh, sorry. I got to hear about the dramatic event. The U.S. team out for revenge against the Europeans trying to keep the cup out of American hands while Judd and Phil broadcast, and Dave sat back here. Surrounded. Judd and Phil surrounded by more drunks than I've ever seen in my entire life, by the way. You've been to Brits, too. I know. (laughs) This is very very impressive. More drunks than I've ever seen in my entire life in Chasker, Chanhassen, or wherever I was. Uh, I'm I'm, I'm looking at my Twitter timeline, and Matthew Collar is just like arguing with people about Teddy Bridgewater (laughs) and Case Keenum. Well, I'm with him on this one. Uh, Loyal listener Matt Cheetah chimes in. (laughs) Um, Let me see here. He says, I do like Teddy, but Case is playing well. And if you're going to take Teddy's past teams into account, you have to do the same with Keenum, who's had to play with bad offensive lines and bad skill uh, position players at previous stops. Right. And as Matthew points out, and this would have been my rebuttal to him and I are are, uh, tracking on the same wavelength here. Right. Teddy went 11-5 and and still managed to not get benched with a bad offensive line, pass-blocking offensive line. Case Keenum gets benched. He gets benched. These are perfect circumstances for him to be thriving to the degree that he is. But I think if you were to take healthy 2015 Bridgewater and put him behind this offensive line, these circumstances, you'd see equal, if not much better numbers than what Case Keenum's putting up. So, oh, I mean, you're not going to you, convince how do people, you... but think the fan base, especially those who are uh, pro-case right now, how do you think they're going to react when, when this change does get made? Like, Well, it's funny because... Like, the, are they going to be like, oh, oh, okay, now that they've made it, you know, it's Zim doing it and I'm fine with this? Or are they going to say, oh my gosh, this is a huge mistake? I just think there's a weird attachment to a career backup quarterback. And I don't know if it's because Case Keenum exhibits some likable qualities. He's gritty and he's no. Uh, he's he's likable. No, in terms I think of... I think it's largely based on the fact that Keenum has done a very nice job, and I think it's also largely based on the fact that we we in this town, when it comes to sports, are often afraid of change. Why would you change this? They're win- they're seven and two. Why why would you? I think there's a large group of people who can't get their head around why this might even make sense. Well, I I would uh, actually later on we're going to get to Windhorst here in a, in a couple minutes, but. I'd love to play devil's advocate to the you got to ride the hot hand crew because I think you can poke a lot of holes into that. If your whole life philosophy is you got to ride the hot hand, well, you probably went broke in 2008. Like there's a lot of holes you could poke into that. But when really going back and looking at the performances, sometimes the box score doesn't tell you the whole truth, but sometimes it puts into context what you thought you saw. Is 188... No touchdowns and one pick against a bad Baltimore team. Like, is that really something to die on a hill for? Probably not. That Cleveland game, what you saw in the first half, are you going to die on that hill? Probably not. Yeah. 239, a touchdown, a pick, a bunch of incompletions against Green Bay at home. Like, I think there's a group of fans who, if when this change gets made, they're going to say, okay, now that the team made the change, it's okay. I think there's a group of fans who think that we are generating this story and it's us, us, us. And they don't get the fact that the team is going to make this change. And I think once the team does it and puts their stamp of approval on the change, 
fans will say, oh, now it's fine. Yeah, I mean, they, the, the team has built up a lot of credibility the last couple of years in what they've fixed. Offensive line, Mike Zimmer clearly knows what he's doing at head coach. But uh, let's back burn of the Vikings conversation for now. We'll, we'll get back into it in the next couple hours. Brian Windhorst from ESPN and ESPN.com on the 8-5 and five Timberwolves when we come back.